Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Be Customer Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. I have an amazing guest and a friend and a mentor on the show this week. And I'm so excited to have this individual and introduce him. Marbu Brown is an accomplished and exceptional leader, frankly, in customer experience, an executive with a track record of thought leadership and signature business results at some of those most iconic brands on the planet. Frankly, right? One of them where we worked together and where I got to meet Marbu and start to learn from him was JP Morgan Chase. Marbu has been at Amazon.com, Microsoft, and Cisco Systems. And then just a, a deep thought leader and veteran in customer experience and frankly, employee experience as well. But Marbu, thanks so much for coming on the show. Just super excited to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Bill. And I'm super excited to be with you on the show today. And uh, no, thank you for that introduction and uh, really looking forward to our chat. And uh, so, hey, thanks. Looking forward to a stimulating conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Marbu, the first question we ask each guest on the show is for the, the guests is to tell us about your journey and some of the differentiating factors in your career. Like in the intro, you've worked for some amazing brands. Uh, and have had executive and leadership roles at these companies. You've done so much in the customer experience space. Just, I think your your story, man, is pretty incredible. I'd love for you just to share a little bit of it. Well, thank you. And uh, Bill, you talked about some of the companies where I've, where I've worked. I think I've also had the opportunity to to work in some amazing situations and with some amazing people. Mm. Very early in my career, when I first got into the customer experience space. I was on the side dealing with measuring the customer experience. And I got to work with some amazing folks in terms of analytics and all of that. So we got an opportunity to really break some new ground in terms of measuring customer experience. We got to publish on that. So that was super exciting very early on. But in addition to measuring, there's also that whole aspect of extracting insert insights mm. and, and turning those insights into actions, right? And so those three things have really been at the core of what I've done in my work in all of these different companies that, that you mentioned. And like I said, I got the chance to, to work with some amazing people. Think about time at Amazon.com, getting to work with Jare Buck. Buckley Cox and uh, Tom Wyland. Tom was like a, a pioneer in customer obsession, if you will, one of the leaders there. So I have gotten to work with with some amazing people, getting to work with Shonda Brown Duckett at Chase, and I've gotten that that opportunity to work with just some really amazing people, Mike Weinback. So th- those folks have helped me really shape some of my ideas about mm-hmm. customer experience, about customer obsession. And uh, it's it's been a great journey, 
from that perspective. So those are, are some of the, the things that I would highlight. Well, like I'm going to highlight the fact that you were, whether you knew it or not, you were a mentor to me. You still are, frankly. You really brought and elevated, at least I can speak from a Chase perspective, you elevated the importance of customer experience and the understanding of what customer obsession is and really fundamentally changed their thinking around the customer, which is not easy to do with a large organization like that. Mm-hmm. Um, customer obsessions is something that you know a little bit about. You're writing another book. You've written books before. You're writing another book on customer obsession, defining it and talking about organizations. What does it mean to be customer success? What organizations that embody it today? First, why write a book on the topic? Like what was out there sort of in the space that you wanted to kind of crystallize for industry at large? And maybe what's different relative to other books written on similar topics, whether they're about Amazon around customer obsession or otherwise. I know there aren't the topic of customer obsession. I I don't think there are a lot of books, if any, that are solely specifically focused on that. But like why write the book? What was sort of running around in your head when you're like, I want to do this, and then here, here's why it's important? Well, look, Amazon popularized the term obsession. And soon after, a lot of people began using the phrase customer obsession to describe what they were looking to do in terms of customer experience in their own companies. They express aspirations to be customer obsessed. The bottom line is that not everybody who says that they want to be customer obsessed is speaking the same language. They didn't have a comment about that. And it turns out that really there's only a handful of companies that have prioritized the customer to the extent that you would call it an obsession. But the thing about those companies is that they all have certain things in common, right? So what I wanted to do was to extract those commonalities, those differentiators, and uh, use that to put a clear definition of customer obsession on the table so that when we're talking about it, we can all be talking about the same thing, right? So that's, that's one aspect of it. I'll tell you another reason why I wanted to do it, because another thing about those companies who give a badge for customer obsession is that they have extraordinary business results. Right. And so as a business strategy, this this is a business strategy that people should really hone in on because it can really catapult their their companies to new levels. And I'll give you an example of something from 2014 to 2017. Amazon stock price tripled from 2017 to 2020. It tripled again. Okay. That's one of the companies, obviously, like we said, the phrase customer obsession originated with them. And so obviously they would be one of the people that would be on the list. Let me give you another example. Chick-fil-A. If you look at all quick service restaurants, Chick-fil-A ranks number three. That's behind McDonald's and Starbucks, right? But at one point, when Chick-fil-A was even still climbing the ladder to get there, If you look at their per restaurant revenues, their per restaurant revenues were more than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway combined. Okay, so if you look at it on a unit basis, right? I'll give you one more company, Costco. All right, Costco has over 90 million paid memberships. 
we have a renewal rate that's over 90%. Bottom line is, when you look at some of these companies that you know will fit into this category of customer obsessed, what I call the customer obsession icons, their business results are phenomenal. I could keep going on, but we only got a certain amount of time, <laughs> so we'll leave it at that and, and we'll pick it up later on. Those are three companies that I am a customer of. It always amazes me. No matter what time of day or what day of the week, obviously excluding Sunday, Chick-fil-A, the number of cars waiting to get their order and, and you're, and you get it and you just kind of, oh, they're lying. But that line goes so quickly. You've got your food in minutes. Their ability to turn over customers is second to none. I mean, way better than anything I've ever seen in McDonald's or Starbucks or anybody else. Marbu, there's, when I think about terms like customer obsession, and I get to talk to a lot of companies kind of given the role I'm in too, they conflate the term a lot with customer focus, customer centric, customer obsessed, et cetera. What are some of the differences for you between the three? And why, why should we stop conflating those, those three terms? Well, let me start off by saying that in the book, one of the things that I do with is something called the customer obsession continuum, right? And uh, I would start off by saying that customer focus and customer centric aren't the same. And then they're different from customer obsessed, right? But just for discussion's sake for now, I'm just going to look at customer obsessed versus the other two, right? Okay. Let me start off by saying that in the customer obsessed category, one of the things that separates them from the other two is this whole notion of consistency, right? Look, all of these companies create wow moments for their customer, customer focused, customer centric, customer obsessed. But the level of consistency with which the customer obsessed companies do it far outpaces the others, right? So. That's one of the, the big differences that, that you're going to see. Mm. I'll tell you another aspect of it, and, and that is in terms of when big decisions are being made. And you've got a tough decision on the table and you got tiebreakers, right? What breaks the tie? When you're in a customer-obsessed company, you know, the interest of the customer breaks the tie, right? When you're in a customer-focused or a customer-centric company, well, you might find that something else breaks the tie. It might be something that has to do with financials or, or, or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But in customer-obsessed companies, they take the position that oh, if it's good for the customer, it's good for business, it will pay off. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's another aspect of it. And then you, you can look at where do people put their investment. You know, and that's another place where you're going to see a difference between customer focused, customer centric and customer mm -hmm. obsessed companies. You're going to find that, for example, in the customer focused or customer centric companies, their investments might be around measuring customer experience, understanding the impacts of customer experience, but maybe not as much in the customer experience itself. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when it's, it's, it's time to make those investments. If you can't connect the dots directly to ROI, then you, know, you, you, you might uh, not see those investments happen. So that's, that's another place where you're going to see a difference between these companies. 
I really love that distinction of investing in the capabilities to help you understand the experience, but not in investing in the experience in and of itself. Like that, yeah. that to me really sticks out in a big way, certainly in the brands that I, I personally connect with, et cetera. I really love that and appreciate that distinction and has me now thinking about every company I've worked for or that I talk to and like, what, how are they approaching it? It's incredible to me how big brands that we interact with every day are investing in understanding the experience, but may, may or may not really invest in the experience in and of itself. I think people would be shocked necessarily, but is there sort of a, is there a maturity path to get to customer obsession, right? I think of it more like you, you've got your college level one-on-one course. Maybe you're investing in understanding the experience. You get to two or maybe mm-hmm. 300 level courses. You're now maybe doing advanced analytics around that. And maybe we can get to graduate level course or a 400 level course, right? You're, doing, you're investing in the experience perhaps. This doesn't happen overnight though, right? Talk to us a little bit about the maturity path. Well, let me say something about whether or not it can be done overnight. So mm-hmm. not overnight per se, but there have been some companies, not a whole lot, but there have been some companies who have been able to make a dramatic turnaround in one year. Okay. But that only happens under certain conditions. Okay. That mandate has to come from the very top. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just a matter of a mandate coming down, but it's also a matter of from the very top, there is a demonstration of this commitment to, to customer obsession. There are a succession of, of decisions mm-hmm. that back it up, okay? Things like that that, that, that people can see and, and they can relate to and, and they can say, hey, this is a bandwagon that I need mm-hmm. to jump on mm-hmm. and, and they can follow along on, on that. So there have been some companies who have been able to make a dramatic turnaround in a relatively short space of time. The, the, the thing I would say, though, is that for anybody, first of all, they need to get a good assessment of where they are and what the gaps are. Mm-hmm. And so I mentioned about the customer obsession continuum and, and I, 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 one of the things that I deal with in the book is that whole continuum. There's a couple of more categories besides customer focused, customer centric mm-hmm. and customer obsessed, right? And it's a good thing for people to get an assessment of where they are and identify what are some of the gaps. Mm-hmm. Let me give an example. If you want to have a customer obsessed company, you need to mobilize a company around customer obsession. So what does your communications strategy look mm-hmm. like? Are top-down communications mobilizing the company? Is this a prominent topic in, in your communications? Or let's take decision-making forums mm-hmm. like business reviews, like offsites, like all-hands meetings. All of those kinds of, of, of all hands meetings may not always be decision making forums, but it, it's where you communicate to people and you mm-hmm. rally the troops and, and, and all like that. Does the voice of the customer have a, a position in, in that in those forums, if you will? And is it more than a check the box activity? Does it get a real hearing? Does it get real consideration? Does it translate to any follow-ups that happen afterward? That's another thing that, that folks need to, to look at in, in, in terms of gaps, right? 
So you have to you have to first of all make an assessment of where you are, mm. right? And then you can begin to build on those those types of things. And and frankly, customer obsession, the movement towards it works best when it can be integrated into the rhythm of the business, right? And uh, so there's some some very specific pieces that uh, I'll refer to as we get into this a little bit further, mm-hmm. but you got to get those pieces incorporated into the rhythm mm-hmm. of the business. So really interesting. How We talked a little bit about outcomes, or you talked, excuse me, you talked about a little bit of some of the outcomes um, at the top of the show, stock price being one of them, Chick-fil-A's individual store sales relative to other players out there like McDonald's and Starbucks. What are the other types of business outcomes you see or proof points that an organization would expect to see when they sort of quote unquote arrive, assuming it's a destination versus a journey? What are some of those other proof points that you see organizations start to deliver on or start to see? Well, let me say that you'll see a change in your customers. You've heard the expression raving fans, mm-hmm. but, but, but let me give you some concrete examples of what it means when, when customers are raving fans, okay? And I'll, I'll start again with, with Chick-fil-A and, and use some other examples. I remember back when I was living in the Seattle area, Chick-fil-A opened a restaurant in Bellevue, Washington, okay? And when they opened that restaurant, it became like a, a traffic issue, there were cars from Chick-fil-A coming out of their parking lot, going onto the street they were on, backing up into another side street, and going all the way into the highway ramp, right? And they basically, there were so many people trying to get in that they had to bring police in for, for crowd control. Incredible. People who were going to Chick-fil-A were parking in the Whole Foods across the street. They were parking in the gas station across the street. They were parking in the parking lot of the hotel next door. I mean, um, that's the kind of thing that I would call raving fans. Now, yeah. if that went on for two weeks, you'd say, wow, it's new, right? But the thing went on for months, right? I mean, so that to me is like, it's a level of commitment to go in there and get in that, yeah. that that's beyond normal, right? Look, a Costco, Costco shoppers, some of them have been so fanatical that they've coined a term called Costco-holics, right? I mean, there's people who have held weddings in Costco. <laughs> so there's people who have gotten the, the Kirkland Imlin yeah. tattooed on them. I mean, like, now, some of this is kind of extreme, but the bottom line that I'm saying is that when your customers get to that level, they're, they're not ordinary customers anymore. Mm. They, they become raving fans, rabid fans. I mean... Things are a little bit different now, but think about when every time Apple would release a new iPhone or something, people be camped out in front of the stores for days, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, now most everything can can be online, and frankly, even before the pandemic, you could still order the stuff online. But people would be ordering the stuff online and still camping out to go to the store mm-hmm. to, to to get it like like the first day, right? So this is one of the kinds of things where the level of commitment that your customers have will be extremely tangible. People are going to be posting about this stuff. Mm. They're going to be tweeting about it. All of these kinds of things. When you're there, okay, you're going to see that kind of rabid loyalty 
to your brand and that kind of emotional connection to your brand, other brands just, just don't have. In your research for the book, Marbu, what other organizations, businesses, brands, whatever you want to call it, what other brands get it today? And other examples that you want to bring out from the book. And also conversely, is there are there companies, and maybe we don't want to call companies, but maybe industries more broadly that are far from customer profession? Like, you know, what and what factors are driving that, do you think? That's that's the fault. name of the that's book is uh, Blueprint for Customer Obsession. Okay. And uh, one of the things that we do in the book is to take 10 companies that we identify as customer obsession icons, mm -hmm. if you will. And uh, I mentioned that there's things they have in common. And so uh, we pull out those things from the, the 10 icons and uh, use them to, to show what the definition of customer obsession is, mm -hmm. right? Now, we've mentioned some of those icons. And uh, so I'll mention some of them and, and add a few additional ones, but Amazon gets it, right? I mean, we, we, we kind of started there. But again, if you think about some of the things that Amazon has put on the table, whether it's it started with two-day prime delivery, which is being moved back into one-day prime delivery, you can think in terms of how they status your order. You're getting constant updates on, on what's going on if your order, with, with your order, or where it is, and all of those kinds of things. Yeah. You think about the whole notion of cashier-less stores. They're, they're constantly doing things that will just improve the experience for the customer. We have, we've talked about Costco a little bit. Think in terms of their returns policy, mm -hmm. right? I mean, a lot of times people go to Costco and buy things just because the return policy is what is what it is. But also think about what I might refer to as the Costco treasure hunt, right? Because you can get in the store and you can see screaming deals on things that you think these things have no business even being in Costco. Because this is like some really high-end stuff, and, and you're getting a screaming deal on it, and you you may not have gone to the store that day to buy that thing. You take a look at it, and you say, you know what? This is a screaming deal. I'm going to buy it, right? I've been, um, you know, I've been there. <laughs> so you get those of kind of options, or even just like some of the cash back opportunities mm -hmm. that, that you might have. And, and so hey, maybe you want to install floors in your house or something like that, and you can go somewhere and buy. Maybe you can buy for the same price, but you're not going to get that cash back. So there, there's a number of different things like that that they have done on behalf of their customers that, that makes it a great experience for them. Ritz-Carlton gets it, Yep. right? And uh, you can just uh, you can think in terms of how they anticipate. They can anticipate what your needs are, even though you may not have explicitly expressed them, mm -hmm. uh, and then they, they find a way to meet that. So we have a number of these, uh, these companies that, that get it, Southwest Airlines. So the uh, pet supplies company, Chewy, they get the it. Organization, there, yeah. there, there, there's a number of these companies out there that, that get it. And I won't say, look, the, the 10 companies that I use in the book definitely are not all that there is. There, there, there's many more than those, but I need to keep it to a manageable number to, to have the book out of manageable size so people can actually read it, right? So, yeah. That's funny. I want to talk now, like, 
if you think about beyond customer obsession, if we assume that this is a destination, excuse me, a journey, not a destination, one of your chapters talks specifically to that. What is after that? What's after obsession? Like, how do you evolve from that, right? Like you can say, okay, we've tripled our stock price over the last three years from the previous three years. We've done that now a couple of times. All the business metrics show that customers love us. They keep on coming back and keep on buying the product. We're investing in constantly improving ourselves, not necessarily looking in the rear mirror or the, or the front windshield, right? We're really focused on improving our own operations and how are we getting better every day, training our people. What's after that? Because you, well, you can't necessarily just sit on your hands, right? Like business changes fast. People start to copy replicate what you're doing like what how do you how do you kind of move past obsession even? well you don't you don't move past obsession I, I guess what's beyond obsession is more obsession right and, and that's really the way i think about it because the things that wow customers today um become yesterday's news yeah, right? Yeah, right and so just like i was saying just a minute ago that amazon's been doing two-day prime delivery yeah I, I don't know if you ever got to experience what's called prime now that was two-hour delivery, yep. right? And, and of course, Prime Now is limited to you know, certain geographies and, and whatnot. But, but in between Prime two-day delivery and Prime Now is Amazon kind of moving that needle back to, like, let's go to one-day delivery, yeah. right? And, and uh, so the thing is that, you know, what wowed customers before, it's going to become yesterday's news. So, you, so when you reach that point where you can say, okay, I, I've kind of achieved the customer obsession ideal. You, you got to follow that with more obsession, mm -hmm. right? And, and then here's the other thing. Look, there's a lot of unexpected things that can challenge the foundations of customer obsession, mm -hmm. right? Challenge your foundations. So I think about the pandemic we've been through that, have, that has really put some pressure on companies that have, are striving to, to deliver a customer-obsessed experience for their customers, right? Think about the airline industry and, and things that, internal factors that have been able to yeah. really pressure them, whether it's masking rules or it's uh, vaccine mandates that, that may have had an impact on, on the size of their workforce. Just a bunch of, of, of different things. They come out there and they challenge you in the middle of that scenario, right? Mm -hmm. Or you, you think about the, the grocery stores and, and you think in terms of, again, like the Costco's and stuff like that. And, and like, how do you create a safe store environment for people to shop in in those types of scenarios? Now, that's the type of pressures that may have been brought on by the pandemic. But the bottom line is, these unexpected things are always going to be there. Mm -hmm. and, and so the company always has to be prepared for those types of disruptions, any kinds of disruptions, right? And, and our environment is constantly being touched by disruptions of every mm -hmm. kind, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would say that after customer obsession is more obsession, right? Because that is essentially how you stay at that elite level. Great answer. I've got a couple more questions for you, Marbu. I know it's Friday afternoon and I'm sure you want to, I'm sure you got work to do. One, but number two is get, you want to get sort of get out with your day too. So again, thanks so much for coming on the show. We ask every guest Marbu is where they go for inspiration. 
Where do you go? Okay, and, and Bill, I'm I'm happy to answer a couple more questions. I know, if, if I know, I know. You're so generous with your time. You always are. It's awesome. <laughs> so, but uh, hey, in terms of going places for inspiration, first of all, I, I would like to to go to folks who have lived the journey, right? And so, when you think in terms of 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 living the journey, I, I think in terms of Joe Colomb, who started Trader Joe's and looking at his journey and, and understanding that. I think about some of the folks who have installed stuff at, um, at Ritz-Carlton mm-hmm. and reading some of their material because they have lived, lived the journey, right? So, so I, I think in, in terms of, of those folks. But, but I also go back to some of the folks that I mentioned early on that I've gotten to work with over the years. Mm-hmm. I think about like uh, Tashonda Duckett, who is super inspirational, and uh, he disseminates culture in in an extraordinary way. Mm-hmm. I think about somebody like Mike Weinback. So I, I draw inspiration from those folks, and uh, I think it helps me to keep going. So people that I mentioned at the top are are definitely folks that I go to for inspiration. Cool. Marbu, I started asking a question. I'll give you an opportunity to ask this as well. But I started asking questions of my previous guests. What is the one question I should ask my next guest? Okay. Now, I won't say, I'll tell you off, off sort of recording who asked this, but she works for a major brand. She heads up experience design and insight for that brand, senior vice president there. And her question to you was... What are the roadblocks, and maybe we'll keep it in the context of customer obsession here, but what are the roadblocks that you see organizations, teams facing that, that don't allow them to deliver the types of experiences that drive sort of that obsession internally or even externally from, from a customer perspective? Well, look, I think the, the biggest roadblock is protecting existing franchises. Right. When a company has achieved a measure of success and they've achieved a measure of success based on a certain product that they've delivered, based on a a certain service that they delivered or a certain business model. And then comes along something like a business strategy, like customer obsession, and and, and it asks them to do something different than they've been doing. And they think that there's a possibility that it could threaten the franchise. Okay. I think that's the biggest roadblock because people are hard pressed to to take the risk unless they can see all the dots Mm. connected. Right. But, but I'll tell you, I'll give you an example of, of something. Apple first introduced the iPhone. Okay. The iPhone was not compatible with Mac OS. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And, and when folks were given that mandate to build the iPhone, it, it didn't have a constraint that it needed to be compatible with Mac OS. And so that stuff came on the back end. The bottom line is that it gave them a chance to create in a way that built a great other franchise and then the franchises got connected together, right? But that's the biggest roadblock that I see that uh, would stop people from doing some of the things that mm. they need to do. I think that's a great example. I think the corporate fear behind 
the unknowns, not being able to collect all the dots to connect them is a great example and a, a really big roadblock that I've even seen myself in past lives. I don't do this, by the way, Marbu, because I'm a lazy podcast host. I just think it's a fascinating way to actually have a conversation. But what's the one question I should ask my one, my next guest? What's your question? I'm wondering if my question is fair or not, because what comes to mind for me is, does your company have one policy that would make your customers or your competitors do a double take because it's so favorable to the customer. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's, that's a question for people to reflect on. Have they achieved a level of customer experience excellence that they have a policy that would, would fit into that category? Okay. I can't wait to ask this question. That's a great, great question. I didn't know how this would go, by the way, but I'm already loving it. <laughs> so I'll make sure that I keep on doing it. Marbu, I know that you're still trying to work out a date for publishing the book. Any idea on when or what's your hope for, for getting it out there for sale? What's your, what's your target date or target? Kind well, of I expect the, the book to, to hit shelves in about 90 days. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of like the, the ballpark release time, but uh, it'll be able, it'll be available for pre-order before then. And I'll circle back with you and, and uh, give, you, give you like an update on when it's available for pre-ordering and stuff like that. So Yeah, I, I can't wait. I will be on the pre-order list. I know you have been gracious enough to allow me to have a sneak peek, which is pretty amazing. But uh, I will be on that pre-order list for sure. And I'll make sure that uh, we're talking about it on the show and we're talking about that out in our social, uh, our social media. Marbu, it's one, wonderful to see you. Two, thank you again for coming on the show, talking about your book, talking about customer obsession and the differentiators there. Uh, you really are an inspiration in this space and I'm grateful for your time. Thank you. Well, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate being with you on the show. It's been a pleasure. Great seeing you as well. And uh, hey, I look forward to future conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, everyone. That's a great show for us this week. We're out. Talk to you soon, Thanks everyone. for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.